burning his breath in our lungs, the gift, the gift that you've just been taking over and over all morning and not maybe realizing it. Grateful for that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark. I'm glad to, uh, glad to serve in this family, glad to share his word and his truth. It gives me opportunity to study it throughout the week and allow, uh, allow it to speak to, to my heart. And, and really this morning is one of those days where so often it's those days uh, as I share stuff with you, but really it's mostly, it's mostly for me, and we find that out this morning. So uh, we're in part two of a new series we started last week talking about relationships, uh, and uh, Beth said to me, she's like, oh great, it's a study on relationships. She's like, I'm going to have a better husband and father for the next four to six weeks, and I was like... Uh, I hope it's for longer than that. I hope that God does something profoundly in me that actually makes it happen uh, for longer than that. We try and live out what we teach, and that's, um, that's something that the people close to us can see and, and find. But every one of us has relationships. There's no shortage of them. You've got different connections with different people on different levels, the people you work with. Then there's your family, the people that are, that are close to you. And so we've titled this series, My Future Family. What do I want my family of the future to look like? Because the decisions we make now that they contribute to what our future family looks like. And so there's lots of relationships that we're in. We want to kind of focus on the ones that are connected to the family. So husband, wives, um, you know, husbands and ex-wives, children and your parents, uh, in-laws and the outlaws, uh, your church family, and ultimately the relationship that you have with the Lord wherever you are at on that journey. Maybe you're here this morning like, I don't even know if I believe in God. We're just glad you're here because this morning... You know, he, uh, he desires relationship with us. He doesn't want us to follow rules, be a part of a church, give him money, whatever you think um, or may have thought. He just wants to know you. He just wants you to know him. And so this morning, we hope that each and every one of us has a chance to take a step closer and further in that direction. So we learned last week, though, that every relationship that you're in is only as strong as the weakest person in it. So if you're the the weakest link, the relationship is only as strong as you. Uh, If the other person's the weakest link, well, you can't fix them. So the thing that we've encouraged us to do, and last week we looked at it, is there's only one person we can change in every relationship, and that's who? (laughs) Yeah, us or me. We're the only one. And so today, you know, if we know and we realize after last week that, hey, there's stuff that we can do to to work on us, to do in us that can actually change the relationships around us, Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? I believe there's one thing that hinders us from it. There's one thing that that prevents us from doing that. The one thing that every one of us deals with at some point in our life, the one thing that divides relationships, it's the one thing that pushes the people that you love away, and you don't even realize you're doing it. It's the thing that stops you from actually doing something to fix relationships you know are broken. It's that thing that doesn't allow you to apologize when you're wrong. It, it, it's the thing that inside of you says, well, they're more wrong than me, so they should be the one apologizing to me. It's that thing that with your kids, you overcoach your kids because you think everybody's looking at your kids and they, they think about you in a certain way because of your kids. Oh, look at that brat. Their parents must be. It's that thing that makes you hide your faults, makes you become um, not authentic with people. It's the thing that puts up those walls around you, those, those uh, facades that are actually just blocking you in. It's the thing that actually causes you to drift away from loved ones as a result, and you, you, don't, you don't realize it's what's happening. It's the thing inside of us that won't take the medicine, even though we know it will help us. And it's that one thing that says, stop listening to this sermon right now. Anybody know what it might be? 
Pride. It's a tiny word called pride. I tried to find a pretty word, a pretty um, uh, illustration of the word pride. It took me forever to find one that wasn't covered in rainbows. <laughs> this, this word pride, you know, even seeing it in, in pretty calligraphy, it's not a really, it's not a pretty word. There's two sides of pride, really. There is the side where, you know, you're proud of your kids, you're proud to be Canadian, you're proud to be a Leafs fan. I don't know why you would be anymore, Bob, but, you know, there's there's those kind of pride that's not that really that big of a deal. But then there's the dark side of pride that's that's just not as great. You know, the definitions and synonyms of that word, even though it looks pretty, the, the other synonyms of it are things like this, arrogant, conceited, vain, self-absorbed, self-important, puffed up, blown up, pompous, and haughty. I don't know why anyone would ever want, just leave that up there, I don't know why anybody would ever want that word to be associated with them. Would you? Any of those terms you're like, yeah, that's, how I, that's what I would like my life to be described as? I thought maybe, like, for instance, some people would be like, I'd be okay if I was described as, that's a hottie. I don't know if we have a picture, yeah, so she's a hottie, you know? That would be okay, but... <laughs> She did not give me permission for this, but that's one thing. But the other is that, you know, if you say, yeah, she's kind of haughty, that's not something that anybody wants to be known for. And so the same thing for each and every one of us. It's not that we would, we would love to be known for being proud. And my question is, who comes to your mind when you think of proud people? When you think of proud people, who comes to your mind? People that can't admit that they're wrong. People that, you know, those people that they're all about themselves. When I'm talking to them, they, they're not listening. They're just waiting so they can talk about... All they do is talk about themselves and their cat and their whatever. And all the problems they're going... It's all about them, them, them all the time. Or they can never apologize. For instance, this week you watched the Astros who uh, cheated to win the World Series a couple of years ago. And it was discovered that they were cheating. And they, they, all the guys came up to apologize. And their apologies were like they said, hey, did you cheat? Well, uh, you can write whatever you want about us. We kind of like maybe broke the rules. And like, yeah, but did you cheat? They would not. None of them across the board. It was almost like they were told, don't say that you cheated. Why? There's this pride that says, I don't want to associate myself with that. Who comes to your mind? Hopefully it's not me. Because it's easy to notice in other people. Buddy Robinson said this, pride is the only disease that makes everyone else sick but the one who has it. Like everyone else can see it except the person who has it. And so, you know, it's like, how do we, how do we know if it's a problem for me? How do I know if pride is actually... You know, that the dark side of pride is actually a problem for you. Uh, it's one thing you can't see in a mirror. You, know, you look in the mirror, you don't see it. But one of the things I realize is that we even manipulate what the mirror says to us. On Shark Tank, a while ago, I saw it on Netflix. They had this new thing called the skinny mirror. The skinny mirror actually makes you look thinner. It, uh, it takes off a number of pounds. The camera adds weight to me, so I was like thinking maybe we could just put a mirror by the camera so that I look my regular size to those watching on YouTube. But this thing of us finding something that makes us look better than we really are, and they said it's, it's to help your self-esteem. When you get up in the morning and you're 10 pounds overweight and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I look good, then you go and you feel good all day, not realizing that you're still 10 pounds overweight. It's all about how you feel, feel better about you. Why? Because there's something about us that wants to feel better about us. But if the us is broken, it doesn't matter if we feel better about us. That truth of that mirror doesn't tell us what's really going on inside. If you want to know if you have pride problems in your life, you could ask somebody. But how many of us dare? Hey, uh, you think I have a pride problem? And if they look at you and they're like, uh, what do I do now? Yeah. No, honey, you do 
No, no, no. You're the most humble person I know. You tell me all the time, right? It's like, yeah, I know that you, it's not, it's not you. Or if the opposite, where they're brave and like, yeah, I do think you have a pride problem. Listen, I, if I wanted your opinion, I'd give it to you, right? It's like that Samuel Goldwyn's thought, that, that idea of I, I don't want to know. We put up these defense walls. These things are like, you know what? Don't, don't attack this thing on the inside. You can take an online test to find out if you have pride. I did. I went online. You can just Google pride test and you begin to answer the questions. The first test I took, I failed. I was like, man, I definitely have an issue with this pride thing. I was like, must be something wrong with the test. So I took another one. And I, I took a third one after that. And then I failed all of them, more miserably every time. And I, and I should have realized that by the, by the point of me wanting to take a second test, it just shows that there's an issue with this thing called pride. You know, ultimately, at some point, it doesn't matter whether you take a test, yes, yeah, somebody, whatever, you look in the mirror. I think at some point we all find ourselves experiencing this dark side of pride because it just sort of creeps up. And so what's the problem? If we all have it, then who cares, you know? We can just compare with everyone around us. We're all in the same boat. We're all good. What's the problem? Uh, there's a little story. It's a kid's video that uh, they show in kid's church, and I don't know where else. It's a story of two, uh, two ducks and a, and a frog living in this pond, and the, uh, all of a sudden they start realizing the pond's drying up, and they're the best of buddies, and the ducks are like, well, we'll just fly away, and it's all good. And the little frog's like, what about me? And they're like, yeah, we've got to come up with an idea. We've got to take our friend frog with us. And so the two ducks grab a stick, and they decide, we'll put the stick between our bills. We'll fly, frog. You just grab on with your mouth, and you hold on to that stick. And we'll just fly, and you just hold on, and we'll take you to a new river. We'll take you to happily ever after. And so they do. The ducks start flying. The frog's holding on for dear life. And as they fly over, they fly over this farmer, and the farmer looks up, and he says, ha, oh, now I've seen everything. That's genius. He's scratching his head. He says, I wonder who thought of that. And the frog hears it and says, I did, and falls to his death. It's that statement that we've probably heard before. Pride comes before a fall. That's not a new statement, not a new idea. A guy named Solomon, known for being the wisest man of his time, wrote about it thousands of years ago. We have it in Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says this, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Pride before a fall. Solomon's solution was it's better to live humbly with the poor than to share the plunder of the, of the proud. It's better to be associated with the humble than it is to be associated with the proud. And he just simply makes this matter-of-fact statement. He just simply says that, that pride comes before destruction, haughtiness comes before a fall. These little things on the inside come before great um, destruction on the outside. It's like the stuff's going on on the inside. It's why we don't see it all the time because it's an inside job. And the inside jobs are sometimes the worst. I used to work for a company way back when, and uh, there was a company out of Toronto. They had mul multiple divisions. They had all kinds of stuff. They had a high-rise building, and, and uh, the, the, the guys at the, all of a sudden started realizing, our company is losing money like crazy, and we don't know why. And so they couldn't figure out. They, we, they checked all the departments, including ours, and couldn't figure out why they're losing, where, where they're losing money. They brought in people to find out, and in the end, they f figured it out. They found out that their friend, one of their founding people, was the accountant, and he was skimming the, the, all the profits off the top uh, and cooking the books uh, for the whole company. And he was basically getting to the spot where he was going to bankrupt the company. And these guys, by the time they figured it out, they're like, man, who does that? You know, it's like an inside job. It was their friend. And then they looked at it and thought, what kind of person bankrupts the company who writes your paycheck? That's not wisdom. 
You put your company out of business, you no longer get paid. But he thought he'd, he'd make off with all the money and be all good to go until he got caught. He had to pay it back. The police showed up at the place to arrest him. He paid money back, but he lost, he lost all the money he had. He lost everything that he had bought with it, and he lost the friendship with the people that he was in business with. Why? Because it costs something. You lose something. And it's this thing of pride, this thing that controls us, and we don't even realize it's happening. I know it in my life, it's like when you begin to look into the mirror of God's word, like James calls it, all of a sudden it shows you what's really going on in here. That's what he says. God's word's powerful. It's living. It shows us what's going on in our hearts. And so this morning as we look at scripture, my hope is that as I look at it revealing my heart, that you would look at it revealing your heart and not the other way around. I'm not going to try and look to see what's wrong with you if you'll try not to look and see what's wrong with me. Yeah, good? Because I have the microphone, so I could tell about you. You can tell. All right. Second Kings. Scripture's full of stories and advice on this idea of pride. We're not the only one. Second Kings tells a story in chapter, uh, verse 1. It tells a story of a man named Naaman. And he describes him this. The king of Aram had great admiration. Just look at these words about this man. Great admiration for Naaman. He's the commander of his army. Because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But, through, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Just look at these words that describe him. Man, they, the king has great admiration for this man. He's a famous guy. He's the commander of the army. He's the bigwig. He's the, the guy who's in charge. And he was a mighty warrior warrior but it says this that he suffered from leprosy leprosy was like a nervous system disease that showed up on the skin and because of all the skin things back in the in the day if somebody had something visible it, that destroyed the relationships you were no longer allowed to remain in the camp so most people who had leprosy no longer had relationship with anybody other than other lepers they couldn't be with their own families anymore and here's Naaman, this popular, awesome guy who's got that loss of relationship as a result. 2 Kings 5 verse 9, it says that the, the, the king is, has actually, they heard about this man in Israel who could do miracles and heal leprosy. And they're like, okay, we're going to send Naaman to this guy. It's going to be good. The king writes a letter and says, I'm sending you my servant Naaman, heal this guy. And so Naaman takes a letter from the king. He's a big wig, goes to this guy's house. And this is how the rest of the story goes. Verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha's the guy who was going to heal him. Verse 10, knocks on the door. Elisha, I'm here. But Elisha sends a messenger out to him with this message. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Doesn't even read the letter, just knows. The Lord tells him, hey, he's coming. He says, then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. How awesome is that? Like, I don't know about you, but if somebody told you, hey, you just go, just go jump in the Grand River seven times and whatever ailments you have is going to be healed. I don't care if it's like covered in ice. I'd be going there right now. I've been having like physio for a year on my shoulder. I'm just going to jump in there seven times if that's going to do it. I think we all would. But here's the story of Naaman. Naaman, it says, he hears it and he becomes angry in verse 11. And he stalked away. In his mind, but not just in his mind, because whoever wrote this down heard him say it, says, I thought that he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the far part way better than any of these rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. Seems crazy, right? Seems so crazy. You've got this disease that could just be healed like that. It's like he's about to leave and just say, forget it. Forget it. Verse 13. His officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, sir, may we speak? Please don't kill us. 
But let me just ask you this question. Sir, if that prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? He said, climb that mountain, slay the evil dragon at the top and bring me his you know, third tooth from the left-hand side. You'd be like, yeah, I'm all on it. Even if I don't know there's a dragon, I'll go, I'll go do anything I can. He says, so you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go wash and be cured. Verse 14, Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And guess what? His skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. You know, we read the story and the only reason we read the story is because it happened. Because he was healed, but he almost missed it. Almost missed it. Why? And, and so often for us, you know, pride, pride comes in and causes us to miss things. Pride deprioritizes everyone else in the room. Naaman's at the door. It's just all about me. It doesn't matter about anybody else. He thought he's smarter than everyone else, including the person he came to for help. He thought that his ideas, his remedy would be better. Let me just go jump in my own rivers. He was too proud to actually do what was needed. Why should I? Why should I actually do what's needed? Because he didn't even, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it himself until his servants came to point it out to him. Man, we need friends like that in our lives, don't we? The ones who simply say, I don't think you see what you're losing, but I do. Man, man, would you just, would you just take my advice in this one way? You see, pride almost cost him his healing. But as we realize that with leprosy, pride almost cost him his relationships. Pride almost cost him his future family. What about us? My prayer is, God, help me to see what this is costing me. Help me to see what this is costing me. If it's there, help me to see what it's costing me. There's the, uh, the quote of the clever salesman who went door to door saying, let me show you something that several of your neighbors said you can't afford. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? They're like... But they said that, I'll show them wrong and I'll buy whatever you're selling, right? Why do I say that? Because you got a clever salesman who's trying to peddle thoughts in your mind all the time. I love that song. When the lies speak louder than the truth. It was like we were armoring up during that song, you know. God, let, remind me that I belong to you. Help me get my focus back to where you are when the lies come in. Why? Because you got an enemy who's a clever salesman, puts thoughts in your mind. They sound like this. And they're the, wrong, they're the ones who should apologize. You're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. They, they should be the ones. It's not your fault. You're the one who's right. It's true. I am right. You know, they haven't changed. They haven't, well, okay, they've changed a little. They haven't changed enough, have they? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. You don't have to confess your faults to anyone. Just keep it all in there. Let it just be our little secret. You know, you're the parent. You don't need to listen to those kids. They need to obey you. And whichever ones we decide to buy, help me see what it's costing me. See, the dark side of pride often costs us way more than we realize. Way more than we realize. You know, on August 31st of 1986, there was two sea captains, Captain Vadim Markov and Viktor Kachenko. You can check out their story online. They were sea captains of two ships in the Black Sea. One was a freighter and one was a cruise, uh, like a, it was an island cruise ship that they had a thousand people on. And uh, as they were sailing that, that day, they realized that they were on a collision course with one another. And so they began radioing back and forth to one another that they were on a collision course. And they both said, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll move, I'll move, or you'll move, or whatever. And for 45 minutes, they went back and forth until, until they realized that it was too late for either of them to adjust their course. And because neither of them would decide to yield, both of them crashed. And in that moment, 
in that moment, great damage was done. Both captains were arrested. Both captains were arrested for their pride. You know what their pride cost them that, that, that day? Their pride in that moment? They, uh, on March 3rd of the following year, they were both sentenced to 15 years in prison each. They were both required to pay $60,000 American in their, in their currency for what had happened. The, one of the ships, the, the Admiral something in Russian, went down. Went down, cost that company millions of dollars. And so they had to pay for that. They, they, it, cost, it cost that, but even more than that, 423 people on board the one ship. It went down in seven minutes. The rescue boats were there in 10 423 of the 1,000 people on that ship lost their lives that day. Take a look around for a minute. Just want you to see. 423 people, real people. See, we think, oh, you just read stories, it's just whatever. But if you look around, just double or almost triple what's in this room right now. That many people, real people, really lost their lives because of somebody's pride. And the cost of pride, we don't see it all the time in, 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 our, in our relationships, but... You know, we think, oh, it might cost us financially. You know, people are too proud to go and talk to a financial advisor. I don't, I don't want anybody to know that my finances are all messed up. I don't want anybody to know until they hit bankruptcy. But more important than that, who is this costing you? God, help me to see who it's costing me. Because pride costs marriages. You don't even realize that you're on that road to destruction. Pride costs parents' relationship with their kids and don't even realize it. Pride costs kids their relationship with their parents. You know, in marriages that fall apart, man, what is it costing the kids? The children are the collateral damage of so many of our decisions. So many of our decisions, they're collateral damage. The friendships we have, how many of them are suffering from that dark side of pride? You know, a few, a few years, well, a few hundred years after Naaman's story, a man named Jesus arrived on the scene, and we call him a man, but he was God in a body. And he lived out this different, completely different way of living. What a radical way of, of humility and putting others first. You know, the... the the authors who wrote of his story made a point of Jesus' interaction with people, especially with lepers. When Jesus met with lepers, it says he reached out and he touched them. Nobody touched lepers. You know, they were, the relationship was broken, but Jesus didn't come to say, I'm just going to heal you. He would touch them before their leprosy was gone. That was against the rules, against the law, but he says, you know what, I'm reaching out to let you know I want relationship with you. As a result, they were healed Incredible things. The disciples, you know, he'd sit with them and they would be talking about who gets to sit beside Jesus at the table tonight. Twelve disciples, two spots beside Jesus and they would fight about, well, I was the greatest this week. Well, I was the greatest this week. And Jesus sits them down and says, fellas, you know, that thing, that's that dark side. That's that pride that says it's all about me. I want what I can get. It's going to be about what, what goes great for me. But he said, really, greatness? Greatness isn't that. Greatness is this idea of serving other people. Greatness is the idea of, of great people who think they're great putting themselves under people that they think are less than them. Greatness is serving others. And then he says, you know what, let me just show you what it's like. Gets up, grabs a bowl of water, and begins to wash their feet. Something that none of them would ever have even thought of doing. And they were offended. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're the leader. You shouldn't be doing this. He's like, yeah, exactly. This is what love looks like. You know whose feet he washed that night? The feet of Judas. Judas, the one who would betray him just a few hours later. Jesus knew it. It's like, you know what, Judas? I want a relationship with you. I'll show what this whole idea of greatness and serving looks like. And so, if we 
something that may affect all of our lives, may affect all of our relationships, may cost us in different things. What do we do? How do we fix that? How do you fix pride? Can I tell you something? You can't fix the dark side of pride. It just has to die. You can't fix the dark side of pride. Um, back in the a number of years ago, learning to ski, uh, we, took, we went out to um, uh, Whistler, and we took, my father-in-law took all of us out on a ski trip out there. My brother-in-law had never skied before, and so that we thought, that's a great place for him to learn, right? Let's just take him up on the uh, Blackcomb Glacier and let him go. Uh, and so he's, we just told him, There's some, here's the advice we want to give you. It doesn't matter. Skiing doesn't matter. You don't need to learn to ski. What you need to know is, first of all, you need to know how to stop. That's the most important thing. Just learn how to stop. And if you're getting out of control, we just said to him, just fall before you fall. Just fall on that soft snow before you crash in that not soft tree. That was our advice for him. And really, it's great relationship advice for us. It's that idea of that we would fall before we fall. It begins with a perspective shift of saying this, I can't fix me. Because I'm not enough on my own. Last week we were like, hey, look at me. You're the only one you can fix. But guess what? When we really look at it, we realize we're not enough on our own. If we were, we would have done it. But this pride thing, we can't fix that because we're not enough. The people around Jesus, his brother, James, wrote this. James 4, verse 6. He says, he gives grace generously. God does. As the scriptures say, and it quotes a proverb, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He says, if you want God on your side, he's like, here's what he says, verse 7. So humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Fall. Fall before, before God. Resist the devil and he'll have to flee from you. Peter, who was an eyewitness, was there with Jesus, sat at the table, saw the washing of the feet and everything. He wrote to Jesus' followers later in 1 Peter 5 and said this in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger. Anybody younger? I'll put my hand up for that. <laughs> you who are younger, what does he say? Accept the authority of the elders. That idea of I'll yield to those who are above me. And then he says, but he says, all of you. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. It's not just younger, older. Maybe we got to remind that sometimes, but he says it's all of us. Older to younger, you know, man to woman, parent to child, parent to other. He's like this idea of yield to each other in humility. Verse 6, or he says, for God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. That same proverb that James had quoted. Verse 6, he says, so what? Humble yourselves. Would you fall before you fall? Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. In the right time, he'll lift you up. What we learned from that, I can't fix me because I'm not enough on my own. I can't fix me, but I can humble me. Beth sometimes thinks that that's her job in our relationship is to keep me humble. But that's our job in our relationship is that I would humble me. What's the idea in that? You know, the idea of swallow your pride. What's swallowing your pride involved? It's, it's this, this idea of, of admitting and accepting. That's what they call it in, in, our, in our cultural terms. But it's, it's the idea of simply admitting that, hey, there's something wrong. Admitting and accepting the fact that I might have to do something I think is embarrassing or I'm too good for. But you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm not that important. My ego is not more valuable than the people in my life. My, what the people think of me is not as important as my relationship with them. Me winning this argument is not as important as me having a relationship with this person. Paul, a Jesus follower, writes the Philippians, and he says this, Philippians 2, verse 3. In your relationships, he says, don't be selfish. When you're in relationship with people, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress everybody. Just be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out 
only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. He says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Remember Jesus, the leper, Jesus with the way he treated people, Jesus washing the feet. He said, that's the attitude that we're supposed to have, though he was God. He didn't think that equality with God was something to cling to. He didn't think having all of heaven was something to hold on to. And hey, fellas, let me impress you with this. He's like, I, he left all that. He gave up divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. He did the same thing. He chooses to humble himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You know, just quick thoughts in there. The idea of thinking of others is better than yourself. What would it look like this week if your wife just did that for one day? And how, how great would that day be? Your wife's thinking of you as better than herself. What about your husband? What if your husband just for one day thought, wow, you know what? He's going to think of me better than himself for the whole day. What if, your, what if your kids did that for you? They're like, okay, dad, you do know something. You know, you're not always wrong. You're not out of date. Dad, I'm, you know what? I, I'm going to honor you as better. What if, what if your parents did that for you? Reese is like, never going to happen. <laughs> What if your parents were like, you know what, I'm going to honor my children as better than, I'm going to put their needs before my own. What would that look like? And what if your boss for one day was like, hey, hey, you know what, what can I do to help you? What? What would that look like if they just did it for one day? It'd be pretty awesome if everyone around you did that for you for one day, wouldn't it? And now, you know, nobody's nodding because they all know the next question is this. <laughs> what would it look like if you did it? What would it look like if you did it? It reminds me of a story. I've told it before, but Billy and Johnny are sitting at the kitchen table. Mom's making pancakes, and she puts one pancake. It's the first pancake, and Billy and Johnny right away reach for it, and they're like fighting over who gets to have the pancake. And the mom's exasperated, and she finally says, Boys, listen, what would Jesus do? Like, oh, yeah, he would let the other one have the pancake. Okay. And so then Billy's like, okay, Johnny, you be Jesus, and grabs the pancake. And for us, for us, we... We often would want that to be the way. Let everyone else do it. Let everyone else do it. So as we close today, that idea of having the same attitude as Jesus. Before I get there, as parents, did you ever have kids that like to climb stuff? <laughs> you know, I think of Barry Weaver. He'd tell me about his son, Caleb, all the time. Like, Caleb climbing stuff all the time. And he'd say, you know, we're out camping. And there's these diving rocks. And there's, like, all the levels of the heights of all the rocks. And then there's the one that nobody goes on. And he's sitting on the beach. And he hears people, oh, there's some kid going to jump off, to, like, the suicide rock. He's like, oh, must be Caleb. You know, but before he can get there to say, hey, Caleb, get down before you kill yourself, Caleb's jumping because he's that guy. He got a job working on skyscrapers. And it was his gift. But... As parents, you know, my kids too, they climb stuff. It's like, ugh, come down before you fall. And maybe today it feels like, oh, the Mark's up there just saying, hey, you know, you guys all got to come down before you fall. But I'm not the parent in this story. I feel like I'm the kid in the story. And that each and every one of us as a heavenly father is like saying to us, if it's triggering something in your heart today, it's his voice saying, hey, would you come down before you fall? Would you, would you come down on your own before you crash? Would you have the same attitude as Jesus? And maybe you sit here and mark, you're like, you don't know my situation. You don't know the people that I'm in relationship with. And understand, there's sometimes there's marriages that are so toxic and they're so, such, a, such a bad place that this isn't going to be the only thing that helps that. But for most of us, it's not that. For most of us, it's this drift that's happening. It's this pride drawing us apart. It's, this, it's causing angst in our relationships that we can deal with. And it's in those ones, in those relationships that it simply says, 
says this, would you have, have the attitude of Jesus? Well, you don't know my spouse. You don't know my kids. You don't know my parents. You don't, I don't know your boss. And maybe you say, you know what? It's not going to be easy. Can I leave you with this thought? The right things in life rarely are. The right things in life rarely are easy. The valuable things in life rarely are easy. And he says, you know what? Have the same attitude as Jesus. When I think about Jesus, it says he humbled himself to the obedience of death on a cross. Whatever you're going through, I think it's easier than that. Whatever I'm going through is, is easier than that. We're not going to have to die on a cross to help fix the relationships in our lives. And what's he asking? What seems so difficult, he's simply asking, you know, that you'd be the one who apologizes. You know, the one who says, I'm going to initiate reconciliation. Some people want to win the argument and lose relationships. Others are saying, you know what, I'm going to lose this argument because I want to win in relationships. I'll humble myself. I'll be the one who takes the, takes the first step. He wants you to find a way to serve others instead of always just serving yourself. He wants you to lovingly teach and train your children rather than trying to control them. He wants you to admit that you're wrong and that you have faults and that you would live just authentic in your relationships and truth. That's a tough one. Man, that's a tough one. But he says he wants you to take control of pride rather than letting it control you. And I think about that. Jesus was right. If anybody was right all the time, it was him. And he was so wronged. And yet, who's the one who initiates reconciliation? Him. As our example, too often we're waiting for someone else to apologize first. We're waiting for, for um, you know, it's, it's my, either is my fault, but it's mostly their fault. Or it's, it, it was all our fault. And Jesus reconciled and initiated restoration with us. So last thought. What, what, uh, what relationships in your life this morning might be suffering from the dark side of pride in our lives? What, which one's for you? Who is it? Who's that person? Who's that person that you're just like, ah, I know I should, but I haven't. I know I should have said this. I know I should have reached out, but I, but I haven't. Who, who might they be? Who might be the ones you're like, you know what? It's true. I do just always think about myself when it's from them. I, I take more than I give in this relationship. Who, who might that be? And this morning... My encouragement for you is what James and what Peter, what the followers of Jesus simply said. We have a great example. If you follow the teachings of Jesus, it's going to be better for your relationship. It's going to be better for your relationship. But can I just leave you with this one thought? It's not just about following the teachings of Jesus. Because there might be people here this morning, and the relationship that matters most right now is the one between you and the Lord. That that's the one that's at odds. Do you know pride's the one thing that keeps most people from admitting that I need a savior. Why? Because pride lives like I'm God. Pride is the thing that says, I'll, just, I'll do my own thing. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't need a crutch. I don't need God. I don't need whatever you're I will make my own decisions. Thank you very much. Whatever's good for me is, is good for me. You just, whatever's good for you is good for you, but what's good for me is good for me. And how often those things, that decision affects and breaks things around us. You know, the idea of following Jesus means we have to unfollow pride. To follow Jesus means I have to unfollow pride. I saw a, a little art drawing this week that showed the words love and pride mixed in together. Do you know those things are just polar opposites? Paul wrote to the Corinthians says, love's not proud. There's no pride in it, in what's, what's genuine love. And so here's, here's my... Here's my thought for you that maybe you're here and you're not a Jesus follower today. I'm not encouraging you just to follow the words of Jesus. Though if you do, if you do, your relationships will be better. Because he knew us, understands us, and is genius, but it's more than that. The things that we just talked about when we, with our own pride, when we 
break relationships around us. Sometimes even intentionally, we intentionally choose us over other people, knowing it's going to hurt them and we do it anyway. That's not just, just relational stuff. That's called sin. It's this thing that breaks everything. And the reason it breaks is because we're broken. It's here. It's in us. That thing's, pride's not something we decide, hey, I'm going to do this today. It's, it's just, it's there all the time. And that sin has a cost. It costs us in the natural. We see it today. But it costs us more than that. It's what's keeping us, it's what keeps us separate from God. It's the thing that's in the way of that relationship as well. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. That's the bad news. The good news is that he did. He did what was needed. He said that sin's got a cost. That cost is death. Death relationally, death financially, death everything, death physically. He says, I'll die. I will pay the price of death so that that can be fixed, so that I can have a relationship with you. And it's that famous verse, God so loves the world. That's not the world. Put your name in it. He so loves you. 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 That he sent his son, that whoever would just say, I trust in you, Jesus, would have relationship with God. Man, that's on the table for you this morning. Your response is just reaching out to him saying, God, I can't do it, but I believe you did. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? God, would you, would you do in me whatever is needed? If your heart's pounding, you know that he's the one reaching for you because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. And then as Jesus followers, we just decide to say, let's let pride die by humbling ourselves, by looking for ways, looking for ways to treat those around us as better than ourselves, to simply just say, pride, you're not my master anymore. And just to prove it, I'm going to do something nice for someone I dislike. Maybe they're in your home. I've meddled enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. I'm grateful for your word. I don't like it all the time when it reveals the darker things in me. But I'm glad for your light. God, I pray that you'd shine right in there until that darkness is... Any of those things that are not yet like you, Jesus, are washed away. Father, I pray that those areas of our lives that are just affecting our relationships with people, bringing pain into our life and their lives. Lord, would you just translate that into every individual situation this morning? As we leave from this place, that those things would be on, on our minds, those people would be in our minds. That Heavenly Father, we would follow your leading. Jesus, that your, this, the voice of your spirit in our spirit would lead and direct us into living this out. God, thank you for that. And the resistance that we have in us towards it, Lord. <laughs> We just choose today to say yes to you, to follow you. God, and for those this morning in this place that don't know you yet, they're just reaching out to you, just putting their trust in you. Father, I pray that they have such a revelation of who you are and how amazing you are and how good you are. They don't get any of that religious junk that's around us that just says all these other things about you, but they may know, they may know you. They may experience you. God, may we take... <laughs> May we take you with us this week. May people see you in us. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.